Matthew. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 to 34, or you can follow along on the screens. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 to 34. If you could please stand as your act of worship to receive, to read and receive God's holy word. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take your seats. Let me just open this up with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this morning where the saints can gather and to be able to worship and praise your name. Lord, we're just so thankful even for the opportunity where we can come and hear your word. Lord, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will soften our hearts at this moment. Help us to receive your word. Lord, we know that it is not possible through our own understanding, but Father, it is you who give us faith and you who open our eyes to see. Um, and I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open, um, just speak through me, allow me to be the mouthpiece where I can speak your word boldly and clearly, that truly, Lord, that today you will be honored. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there was an author who once said, words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. We can choose to use these forces constructively with words of encouragement or destructively using words of despair. Words have an energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to humiliate, and to humble. You know, I really like that quote because I feel like that quote is very true in our lives today because we see that the power that words have even the Bible attests to this, like it says in James chapter 3, where it talks about how the tongue is like a small fire and how that small fire can set a whole forest into blazing flames. You see, friends, we can use our words sometimes to uplift with one another. Um, for us who are in relationships, when you, say, when you hear the words, I love you, how it really stirs emotions. Or for some of us who've been on the other end of the side where when you, when you use words to bring someone down, how that can really, if anything, um, bring, make you feel so small. Friends, words are very powerful. And in today's message, we will see Christ demonstrate his power with a singular word which leads us to our gospel truth, which is the authority of Christ is not, is not to ruin our lives, but to renew our lives. Today's gospel truth is Jesus' authority is not to ruin our lives, but to renew our lives. 
And three points that we'll be looking at are Jesus' authority confessed, Jesus' authority displayed, and Jesus' authority rejected. And before I go to our first point, if you may allow me to address the big elephant in this room this morning. As we just read this passage, some of us may be wondering, are demons real? And the answer to that question is yes, they are real. Now, the next question you're probably asking is, is demon possession real? And the answer is yet again, yes, demon possession is real. This is the reality that's presented to us in God's inerrant word. And this is the reality that we live in today. So friends, this is not a ghost story that's meant to scare you or some horror story like the movie such as The Exorcist or The Conjuring that Hollywood portrays when it comes to demons and the possessed. No, today's story is not about demons. The demons are part of the story, but if anything, they're there to highlight the main point of today's message. And the main point of today's message is about who Jesus is and his authority over them. So friends, let us not lose focus on, today, on the point of today's message. With that being said, let's, let us go to our first point, Jesus' authority confessed. Look again at verse 28 to verse 29 in your Bibles. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? You see, as, the, as Jesus and his disciples are on the boat, they were heading to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the country of the Gadarenes, as we see in verse 28. The country of the Gadarenes is a Gentile area where Jesus was deliberately leading the disciples, showing them that he didn't just come for the Jews, but he came for the Gentiles as well. And Jesus and the disciples land, and look who confesses the truth about him. You know, it's interesting. It wasn't the Jewish religious leaders, and it wasn't even his own disciples. So who made the confession? You can see in our passage today, it's these two demon-possessed men. When the Bible refers to demon possession, it means demon-possessed. Friends, that's the biblical picture that we live in, and that is our world, and we need to realize that. But you may be surprised how the, two, how the people 2,000 years ago that Matthew was writing to would have responded. You see, the surprise for these people who heard and read Matthew's gospel was not that these two men were demon-possessed. No. They were not like many of us in the West who are skeptical, unbelieving, or even suspicious. What struck them was Jesus and who he was. That was far more shocking than anything that came running out of that tomb. And this is the way they would have read this story. So going back to it, the demon-possessed men come up to him and they yell out in verse 29 who Jesus is by saying, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? You know what's interesting is how the demons in the Gospels always seems to be the one who actually recognizes Jesus immediately. Just like in Mark chapter 1, verse 23 to 24. 
And immediately there, were, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, the demons, they seem to have a supernatural awareness of who Jesus was. And in Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, here the demons are addressing Jesus as, O Son of God. And as Jesus is recognized immediately by the demons, they seem to know that Jesus will be their judge. And that's the reference in verse 29 when it says, Have you come to torment us before the time? You see, the Bible teaches us that the fallen angels will be brought before the tribunal of God at the final judgment. These demons are fallen angels, and Jesus will one day judge them. Um, he's the one who later teaches in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you curse into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Here in this, in this passage, Jesus was teaching his disciples about the final judgment that will come, not just to the unrepentant, not just to the unprepared, but also the devil and his fallen angels. Also listen to how Jude puts it in verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. You see, the demons knew this. They knew the final judgment was coming, and they clearly didn't want that to come any earlier. They wanted it to be delayed as much as possible. They had a sense of God's judgment. You see, these demons understood God's judgment better than the people who grew up with Jesus, better than his family members, better than so many others. They were better theologians. They knew the truth, but brothers and sisters, not like how you and I know the truth. They knew the truth differently. As Don Carson has observed, what distinguishes saints from demons is loving obedience, not naked knowledge. And in James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Friends, this shows simply the insufficiency of knowledge alone. Because the knowledge of the truth about Jesus is necessary, but is never sufficient. Let me say that one more time. The knowledge of the truth about Jesus is necessary, but is never sufficient. You have to not only know Jesus, but love him. And these demons certainly did not. Friends, we're not saved by theological ideas about Christ, but we are saved by Christ himself. And that is so important for us to distinguish. Knowing a lot about Christ does not save you. It's your trust in him that leads you to deeper repentance and faith. And friends, it's not enough to confess Jesus as the son of God like the demons did but to confess him as a savior from our sins. You have to understand that knowledge is not synonymous with what uh, is not synonymous with trust. And that's why Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day in John chapter 5 verse 39 to 40, you search the scriptures but you think that in them you have eternal life. 
and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The religious leaders are very knowledgeable, but it didn't lead them to trust in Jesus. Just like the demons were able to confess Jesus is the Son of God, but they didn't trust in Jesus as well. Friends, do you have knowledge of Jesus? And does that knowledge lead you to trust him? Which leads to our second point, Jesus' authority displayed. If you can look again in your Bibles in verse 29, as you see, the, the demons ask this question, have you, have you come here to torment, torment us before the time? Why would the demons assume that Jesus will torment them? Friends, it's because they knew Jesus had the right to judge them and that he would judge them. It shows us how scared they were of Jesus and that, his, that he has the authority to judge and torment them before the time. Once again, it shows that they had a sense of God's judgment. Let's look at verse uh, 30 to verse 32. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. You see clearly in these verses the truth of Christ's authority over these demons. The demons that the people were afraid of, they begged for Jesus to cast them out into the pigs. Think about it. The people in this Gentile area didn't go near them because in verse 29, what does it say? It says that they were so fierce that no one could pass that way where the demon-possessed men were. And if you look at Mark's gospel, it adds this detail in chapter 5, verse 4. The demon-possessed men, that no one can bind him anymore. Not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Friends, no one can challenge these demons. Yet, they are no challenge to Jesus. And what's so fascinating and interesting is, when you look at this whole passage, you only hear Jesus speak once. He commands them with just one word. Go. That's the only time he speaks. And when he does speak, what do we see? The demons obey. He doesn't do any ritual or use magic. But as we see in this passage, he just says one word. And it's done. When the demons encounter Jesus, they're completely outmatched. And this is the authority that Jesus has. Just like last week, we saw that Jesus spoke and the winds and the seas obeyed. And here we see that Jesus speaks and the demons obey. They're no challenge to Jesus and they knew it because they knew Jesus was appointed as the one who would judge them. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So when Jesus says that he has the keys and death of Hades, 
and Hades, it means he has control and authority over death. In other words, he has the right to judge. I can only imagine for the demons when they see Jesus coming, for them it's like the Grim Reaper coming. Um, you know, Grim Reapers come to collect the body and uh, send, them to, uh, send them to hell. And this is almost the same thing that I would, I would imagine. And they pretty much knew that they were going to be judged and be thrown into hell. So you know that Jesus showed mercy and freed these men from oppression of the demons by casting them out into the herd of pigs. Which is so fascinating. When you see this, this, is, this wasn't just the demons being casted out, but these men were shown mercy and they were free from this oppression. They received deliverance. Now when you look at the latter part of verse 32, it says... The whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The drowning of the pigs is a picture that represents evil and Christ's certain judgment over it. And we see this type of water judgment over evil. Just like when God judged the corruption and the evil of the world with the flood during Noah's time. And when he judged Pharaoh and the Egyptians when they crossed the Red Sea in the pursuit of Israel. You see... The drowning of the pigs really highlights Christ's judgment over evil. Jesus just says one, just says a word, and immediately the demons are cast out and the men are freed. This is the power and authority of Christ displayed. And what does he do? He shows us and demonstrates it with a singular word. Which leads us to our third point. Jesus' authority rejected. So growing up, I had a lot, a lot of fears. Some of you guys know that I'm scared of mice. Some of you guys know that I'm scared of, um, I'd rather be near a lion than a mice. I'm just, I don't know why, I'm just really scared of rodents for whatever reason. But um, growing up, I actually had this fear of rejection when I asked people if they would want to go out and eat with me. <laughs> and unfortunately, I got rejected a lot. <laughs> so whenever I ask someone, I would really think through like, oh man, are, are they going to, I really think through, are they busy? Are they free? If, they, if I know they're free, I'm going to ask that question. And if I ask that question, okay, there's a high percentage that they're going to say yes. So I really did have this, I, this is how I know and I come to admit that I have this fear. But the reason why I share this, fe uh, this fear of rejection is because, if you guys know, I love spending time with people, and I love food. <laughs> so, so for me, it's like getting a double rejection. Getting rejected by the person, and then I get rejected, so I can't eat food. So, so it's not a good feeling. Um, so, like when it's not a good feeling, when Jesus, uh, like when it's not a good feeling, when actually Jesus' authority gets rejected by the townspeople, where we'll see in verse 33 and verse 34. And it says, the herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. As we saw in this passage how the demons asked Jesus to go, so here in verse 34, we see the people come begging Jesus to leave. 
The Gentiles have been told by the herdsmen that they've seen everything with their very own eyes, telling the people everything that just happened, especially what has happened to the demon-possessed men. If you compare and contrast, their response is different with the demons and the townspeople. You know what's interesting with the herdsmen and the people's response? They weren't in all of Jesus' authority when they heard the demon-possessed men were free. Because as you see in the passage, what does it say? They especially heard how the demon-possessed men were free. Their response was rejection. They asked him to leave. And you'll see that in the, in, God, in the Gospel of Matthew, this is a theme of Jesus being rejected, which occurs um, in his ministry throughout. And you'll see him being rejected not only by the Jews, but also the Gentiles and everyone. Friends, Jesus is Lord of all, and he is the Lord over the supernatural, yet the townspeople did not welcome him. They knew the reality of his authority, but their rejection shows that even though they might have known of his power, they didn't know the reason for his coming. Jesus came to deliver us from the bondage of evil, and this is what he has come to do and was trying to show the town's people. You see later, Jesus recites later in Matthew's Gospel, Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The town people rejected Jesus because he threatened their economy by drying their pigs, which messed with their livelihood. You have to understand, the pigs were like money to them. They had monetary value. It wasn't just um, pigs or our pets just go, like, you know, just dying. No, these are actually assets for them. We're not talking, and we have to remember, we're not just talking about 50 to 80 pigs. We're looking at about 2,000 pigs, and we know this because in Mark chapter 5, verse 13, it, add, it adds further detail that the herd of pigs were about in 2,000 in number. So it was a lot of pigs that drowned into the water. You see, for these townspeople, it was literally watching their money going down the drain. As to say, they, they can't retrieve back, since in verse 32, it says that the herd of pigs rushed down a steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. That's why they begged Jesus to leave their region. Friends, when Jesus comes into your life, he will threaten the things in your life and the things that you want and the things that you are doing. When Jesus comes into your life, he will threaten the things in your life, the things that you want and the things that you are doing. For example, when Jesus is in your life, he calls us to be generous with our money. And to be generous with your money means it will cut down on the things that you want to do on your wish list. For some of us, being generous with our money will, might not be an issue. But to be generous with our time, that might be a different story. And to be generous with your time means the less thing that you can do on your to-do list. 
You see, when Jesus is in your life, he will shake up your world, just like he did for these townspeople. And that's why he comes in, and the reason why he comes into your life, we have to remember, he's here to reorient how you would, how your world ought to be. He's trying to change how your life and your perspective should be about. Because friends, the things that Jesus is threatening are not to ruin our lives, but to renew our lives. Jesus was offering the life that we ought to live, which is to live for him. We have to understand that. And it is far better than anything that this world can ever offer. Better than the job that you want, or maybe the school that you want to get into, or the romance that you seek. And the list goes on and on and on. Friends, Jesus was offering something more to the townspeople and not less. But obviously they saw it very differently. The townspeople didn't understand what Jesus was doing for them. They didn't understand his mission. And his mission is to deliver his people. The authority that, he's, the authority that he displayed is meant for our good, yet we interpret it as threatening thing for us. But ultimately, we can see that it's good. And how do we know that? Jesus offered up his life on the cross for our sins and takes the judgment that we deserve so that you and I could be delivered from the bondage of evil. Friends, he offered up his life. While doing that, we're reminded he takes the judgment that we deserve so that we can be delivered from the bondage of evil. That was his mission. That is why he came. He broke the devil's power. That's what he meant on the eve of his crucifixion when he said in John chapter 12, verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. That's why our response to Christ's authority should to accept and not to reject like these townspeople. Because the authority of Christ is for us, friends, and is not against us. And when we actually understand this knowledge, it helps us to confess and trust in the Son of God who came to not ruin our lives, but to renew our lives. Let's pray. Before I close us with a word of prayer, if you can just take this time to uh, pray and reflect upon today's word spoken. And after a couple moments, I'll close us with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much uh, uh, to remind us in your word today that, Father, your authority um, and your mission was to deliver us from the bondage of evil. Uh, we are reminded that you're not here to ruin our lives, but to renew our lives, to reorient how we ought to live 
Lord, we were created to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. And Father, many times we find ourselves to be like these townspeople, rejecting you, because we feel that you are threatening the things that we are clinging on to. I pray, Father, that whatever those things that we're clinging on to, help us to let go of those things. Help us to know that when you are in our life, uh, your authority is for us and not against us. We ask that you would help us to not just confess that you are the Son of God, but Lord, that we would confess that you are the Savior of our sins. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to continue to be renewed in those moments when we feel that, when, in the moments in our lives when we feel tension. And Lord, that in all things that we do, Father, that we may become a witness and that, Father, that we may be renewed to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. People of God, receive now the benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the love of God, the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, both now and forevermore. Amen. Would you hear the words of dismissal? Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace, friends.